This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The air reeked of incense, a thick cloud of smoke filling the room. Hercules' eyes watered. He thought he had run out of tears, grieving the loss of his sons, who he'd burned alive. He had made his way to the oracle at Delphi, and before him stood a woman dressed in fine flowing silks and an intricate headdress. She was the Pythia, high priestess of Apollo, God of prophecy. Hercules, the mighty warrior, you sit prostrate before the gods, soaked in the blood of your children. Why have you come to kneel before Apollo? My crimes are more vile than I can bear. I ask Apollo to guide me to my punishment so that I might atone for my sins and acquire redemption. Bow before me as I channel the god. The Pythia's mouth hung open, and her body began to move like a blade of grass shaking in the wind. She spoke in a voice that was not her own, although the voice did not belong to Apollo. Up on Mount Olympus, Hera, the goddess of marriage, had persuaded Apollo to step aside. Hera was the wife of Zeus, Hercules' father, and because Hercules was the product of an affair, Hera had sworn to destroy him. It was Hera who spoke to Hercules through the priestess. Go to Tiryns and serve King Eurystheus. Do whatever task the man sets for you, and do not leave his service until he is satisfied. I will serve him well. Hercules left the oracle and began his journey to atonement. He was completely unaware that Hera had sent him on a path to his doom. Welcome to Mythology on the Parcast Network. I'm your host and narrator, Vanessa Richardson. Every Tuesday, we present dramatic stories from ancient mythology and explore their origins. At Parcast, we are grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. And if you enjoy today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help us. We also now have merch. Head to Parcast.com slash merch for more information. Today, we're continuing the inspiring tales of the Greek divine hero, Hercules. Hercules, 
The son of Zeus killed his own children in a fit of insanity sent by Hera, the queen goddess herself. Seeking atonement for his evil acts, Hercules submitted himself to slavery under King Eurystheus, a pawn and servant of Hera. In most versions of the original myth, King Eurystheus is not some random king under whom Hercules was sent to toil. Instead, Eurystheus is a direct competitor to Hercules and a foil to his character. In fact, the two were cousins. Both Hercules and Eurystheus were the great-grandsons of Perseus, the greatest Greek hero who lived before the time of Hercules. Both men were candidates to inherit Perseus's throne, and their first competition began while they were both in the womb. Because Hercules was conceived first, Zeus agreed to a bet with Hera that the first child to be born would be the new king of Tyrans. Hera rigged the bet and tied Hercules up in the womb. She then forced Eurystheus to be born prematurely so that Eurystheus could claim the throne. From that point on, Hercules became a de facto champion for Zeus, and Eurystheus became the champion of Hera. Both men were meant to do great things, but when their paths finally crossed, their differences became clear. Hercules was brutish and violent, but noble in his character and exceptional in his capabilities. Eurystheus was politically powerful and well-respected, but his effete upbringing had made him spiteful and cowardly. This contrast showed the Greeks two opposed ways of living. Hercules was the man the Greeks desired to be. Eurystheus was the opposite. As Hercules approached Tyrans, he was about to find this out for himself. Hercules followed a guard toward Eurystheus' palace and common folk glared at him. They shut their doors as he passed and threw refuse at him out their windows. Some even shouted, murderer. They know me even here. I deserve this. Hercules entered the palace and was led to the throne room. Upon the throne sat a tall, muscular man, glaring down at Hercules with absolute disdain. The great Hercules. I've been expecting you. I have come to serve at your feet as penance for for my misbehavior. I don't believe I've ever heard someone call child-slaying misbehavior. I, I assure you, King, I am penitent. Very well. Have you heard tell of the Nemean lion? The great beast whose impervious hide allows it to kill men with reckless abandon? One and the same. I want you to kill the lion and bring me back its corpse. My lord, if I may. Ah, uh, speak if you must. The lion cannot be killed. You send me to do an impossible task. I'm glad you understand. The guards shooed Hercules out of the palace and sent him on his way. From atop a hill, Hercules watched the Nemean lion stalk a cow. The lion's fur shone in the daylight its movements smooth and terrifying. Hercules' eyes narrowed. He had fought many lions on Mount Cithiron. This one was exceptional in appearance, perhaps even divine, with its invincible skin, but it moved and hunted like every lion Hercules had fought before. 
Hercules placed his sword and bow on the ground. They wouldn't do him any good against the lion's impenetrable skin. Instead, he used his club. He sprinted down the hill towards the lion. It was stalking the cow, unsuspecting and unaware of the demigod approaching from behind. Hercules raised his club and brought it crashing down onto the lion's back. Shocked, the lion fell to the ground. The giant cat gasped for air, the wind knocked out of its lungs. Hercules saw his opening and jumped upon the lion's back. He wrapped his arms around its throat and squeezed. The lion struggled against his grasp. It took desperate breaths and it waved its massive claws. Hercules saw those claws, frightened by their size and sharpness. He had to end this quick or he might end up gored. He squeezed even harder, harder than he ever thought he could. The blood of Zeus and the milk of Hera provided him boundless strength, the likes of which the world had never seen. The lion writhed in its dying moments. The fearsome beast had been slain. Hercules lifted the great cat's corpse, but even with his superhuman strength, it would be quite arduous to carry the lion all the way back to Tiryns. So he skinned the beast, then fashioned a cloak out of its hide and a hood out of its face. He donned his new attire and marched back to the city. As he walked through the streets, the people looked at the glorious hide on his back. He could see their hatred slowly turn to admiration. He'd done the impossible. When Hercules entered the throne room, King Eurystheus sat waiting. Eurystheus appeared small, wringing his hands, eyes wide as he looked at Hercules. You've slain the beast. And I've brought its skin to prove it. Guard, shoot him with an arrow. We'll see if your words ring true. Eurystheus could see his noble court grow impressed with the supposedly wretched man before them. He couldn't allow this to continue. Well, child killer, it seems you're far more dangerous than I had assumed. For the safety of my citizens, I command that you be dragged outside the gates of the city. You cannot drag me, but I will go willingly. Eurystheus forced Hercules to live in rotting quarters, too unstable for even his slaves to dwell in. Hercules, insistent on repentance, took this indignity in stride. Hercules' first labor, the slaying of the Nemean lion, represented man's conquest over nature. If Hercules could kill an unkillable lion, Perhaps the average man could kill the average lion. All it would take was a little bravery and determination. When represented in art, Hercules was rarely depicted without the lion's skin upon his back or the club in his hand. He was also often shirtless, his muscles bare for all to see. He was the embodiment of strength and the image of the ferocity and violence necessary to help mankind live in a savage world. This labor also established a precedent for all the labors to follow. Time after time, Eurystheus, at the command of Hera, sent Hercules on a suicide mission with the hopes that he would die in combat and suffer in the attempt. 
Yet Hercules managed to press on through 11 separate labors, conquering hydras, kings, monsters, and giants, no matter the odds. As Hercules triumphed over each task set before him, his magnificent power undermined the authority of the very king he served. Hercules, the brutish everyman, looked like a glorious hero. Eurystheus, the sovereign king, looked ineffectual and incompetent. Hercules grew in status and maintained his noble demeanor, while Eurystheus became ever more desperate to end his life. Queen goddess, Hercules is indomitable. No task I set to him has been too difficult. My people spread tales of his exploits, and they, they've grown fond of the man, a child killer. You dare complain to me. I am more aware of his exploits than anyone. My apologies, Hera, your eminence. I merely, I have a suggestion, if you should deign to hear it. So long as you don't trouble me with any more complaints. I will not. Then speak. Hercules has conquered everything on the earth. Men and gods alike love him. I think the only being capable of stopping him is death himself. First you complain, then you speak folly. I have half a mind to smite you where you stand. Isn't there some way to turn Hades against him? Is there something sacred to Hades that I could send Hercules to steal? Every rotten corpse is sacred to Hades. It can't just be sacred. It has to be dangerous. My lady, what about Cerberus, the great hound of Hades, who keeps the dead from leaving the underworld? Surely if it can fight back the hordes of the dead, it can take on one small mortal. And even if Hercules did manage to wrangle the beast, Hades himself would never let Hercules leave his realm alive. I dare say... This is a grand idea. Up next, we'll follow Eurystheus's final task for Hercules and see if it truly was the death sentence he intended. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Now back to the story. Confident that he had finally found the way to kill Hercules, Eurystheus traveled to the slave quarters himself to gloat before Hercules one last time. You failed to kill me 11 times. Now you wish to see me venture into the underworld of my own accord? And bring back Cerberus, if you make it back at all. Very well. I'll bring the hound right to your throne. Farewell, Hercules. If you don't return, be sure to prepare a throne for me in Hades. 
I'm sure I'll have thought a plenty more task for you by the time I die. Hercules stood tall as he walked away from Eurystheus, but secretly he knew that this task may be too difficult, even for him. He knew that a mortal body could not leave the underworld with its soul still attached. Somberly, he approached his father for guidance. Lord Zeus, I think Eurystheus may have finally bested me. You've come this far, and you'd let Hera win before the battle's even fought? What did that witch come up with this time? They want me to enter Hades and steal the Hound of Hell. That's it? You're in luck. My younger brother couldn't win a fight against me if I tied my arms behind my back and stuck them up a donkey's rear end. <laughs> that may be true for you, but I'm merely a mortal. All mortals succumb to Hades' might in the end. Ah, I always forget that you can bleed. And your pesky souls, always losing track of your bodies. Well, son, you may soon face your doom, but I'll be damned if I let Hera win that easily. Here. Now you have my blessing. Your soul will cling to your body as you pass through the gates of death. Thank you, father. But what of Hades? Will you fight him for me? Ha! And miss the chance to see my son punch my brother in the face? Even if you lose the fight, which you probably will, that sight would keep me laughing for millennia. Well, I hope you find the same humor in my death. Hercules, now with Zeus's blessing, traveled to the entrance to the underworld. It was a rather unassuming cave, with a slight descent into darkness. Hercules constructed a makeshift torch and lit it. The flickering light cast long shadows on the walls, stalactites and stalagmites appearing as fearsome teeth set to consume him with each step he took. He walked for days, going deeper and deeper into the earth. At some points he slid downwards, some points he had to climb. Eventually he came across a great river of rushing water. This was the river Styx, the final barrier between the land of the living and the land of the dead. Any mortal who fell into the water would lose their immortal soul, doomed to drown for all eternity. From the dark fog, Hercules could hear a paddle splashing into the water. He saw a canoe emerge, an animated skeleton paddling towards him. Hercules knew that this was Charon, who ferried the souls of the dead across the river. Hercules leapt into Charon's ferry and stared the skeleton down. Charon recognized Hercules from the tales and was sufficiently intimidated by his glare alone. Charon took Hercules across the river, and Hercules jumped onto the banks of the underworld. On this side of the river, the souls were visible, shades of humanity marching to their final destination. Hercules walked further and came across a great stone arch, a frothing beast laying on the ground beneath. Hercules beheld Cerberus, gatekeeper of the underworld, Cerberus was ten feet tall with a stocky build. He had three fearsome dog heads and dozens of smaller snake heads extending from his neck and feet. It looked at Hercules with a single dog head, then looked away, focused on the souls entering its domain. If Hercules took this dog, 
there would be nothing to prevent the dead from returning to the land of the living, yet his penance must be paid. He walked past the hound, deeper into the cavern. The cave expanded to a great field, souls wandering in peace upon the grassy stretch. In the distance he could see a palace. It was foreboding, but impressive, its own dark beauty commanding respect from those who'd gaze upon it. As he walked, Hercules heard a giggle in the distance, one all too familiar to his mournful ears. He glanced to his right to see his children, three young boys, playing only a few yards away. They didn't notice him, but he could clearly see that they had his eyes, his brow, his visage. They were his sons, Theramachus, Creontiades, and Ophitus, grown beyond the years they had in life. He longed to run to them, to hug them, to apologize. He longed to play with his sons and teach them the ways of manhood, but it was both too late and too early. He had not completed his penance. He had not suffered enough to make up for the suffering that he had caused them. Perhaps someday he could see his children again, but today was not that day. Hercules was allowed entry into the palace and guided to the throne room. A great throne composed of millions of bones stood at the end of a long room, and on the throne sat a giant with ashen skin and blood-red eyes. Hercules bowed. Lord Hades, I have entered your domain and I felt it inappropriate to continue venturing upon your lands without making my presence known. Really? I must say, Hercules, I've heard good things, but I've heard good things about many heroes of the world above. Then those so-called heroes raid my lands and steal my treasures with no respect for me and mine. I must speak honestly with you, great lord. I have been sent by a king to do exactly that, but I do not wish to test my might against you. What have you been ordered to take? Cerberus. The king would find it amusing to see the beast in person. Amusing? And which king is this? King Eurystheus of Tyrans. I have pledged myself in service to him as penance for slaying my own children, and I must do everything he asks of me. And you came to ask my permission to take my hound? You owe me nothing, but still I must ask your favor, great lord. The destruction I would wreak by stealing Cerberus would be too great to justify for just one man's gain. Huh. I must say, I am impressed. Hades stood from his throne, dust falling from his ashen skin. His eyes stopped glowing, and he smiled, his visage turning to an olive complexion with a surprisingly friendly face. He placed his hand on Hercules' shoulder. Of all the heroes to enter my lands, you are the only one to ever come to me with honor. My respect is greater for you than any mortal and many of the gods on Mount Olympus. I will allow you to take Cerberus back to this King Eurystheus on one condition. You cannot use weapons to subdue him, and you cannot harm him in any way. Hercules bowed even deeper, honored by the god of the dead. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Hercules left the throne room and returned to the great arch. Cerberus now watched him with every head and every eye. Cerberus had no intention of letting Hercules leave the underworld alive. 
Cerberus, you are the fiercest beast I have ever beheld, but before the hour is through, you will follow me. Hercules leapt forward and tussled with the monster. The memories of every creature and every god he had ever contended with came rushing back to him. He danced between the dog's heads, gently tying the snakes together. He swept the monster's legs out from beneath it and brought it to the floor. Then, with his great strength, Hercules pinned the beast to the ground, all without harming a single hair on its head. Cerberus submitted to Hercules' command. The great dog followed Hercules all the way to Tiryns. Filled with confidence, Hercules went directly to the palace. As Hercules walked Cerberus through the city, the people looked at the beast, awestruck. They cheered for the demigod and his indomitable might. Hercules and Cerberus entered the throne room, only to find it empty. Coming up, Hercules and Cerberus sniff out Eurystheus. Now back to the story. Hercules pulled the Hound of Hell, Cerberus, into Eurystheus's throne room. But unlike the other times Hercules returned with the fruit of a labor, the king was nowhere to be found. Eurystheus, I've brought you Cerberus. Gaze upon him and be satisfied. The room was silent. Cerberus sniffed the air. He padded along the floor towards a massive vase displayed against the wall. Hercules approached the vase and looked in. Eurystheus, the great king of Tyrans, cowered inside the jar. You're not supposed to enter the city. Take this creature away. I brought him all the way here. The least you could do is look at him. I'll keep my eyes to the bottom of this jar, thank you. All right, I suppose we'll leave. Hercules and Cerberus turned to leave when they heard a loud scream. They watched as Eurystheus bounded out of the jar and crawled backwards along the floor. A shadow arose from the jar with glowing red eyes, great and fearsome. Hades himself had arrived, glowering down at the cowering king. You're the gnat who sent this man to raid my kingdom. I didn't mean... I, I thought he'd die. He took Cerberus at your request. It wasn't... It was Hera. She told me to. And yet you're the one who holds this man in bondage. Free him. Fine, fine. Uh, Hercules, your penance is paid. Uh, go from me in peace. Very well. Don't make me return. Hades nodded at Hercules before putting his hand on Cerberus. Hades and Cerberus turned to shadow and descended back into the underworld. Eurystheus lay on the ground, curled and crying in fear. Please, please leave me alone. Never return. Thank you for releasing me. Hercules walked away from Eurystheus, a free man. As he marched from the city, the people cheered. Eurystheus is frail, Hercules is mighty. Listening to their chants, Hercules knew he had been cleansed from the sins of his past. Hercules conquered the final adversary of humanity, death itself. He had proven himself greater than Eurystheus, and he had proven Zeus greater than Hera.
And yet, even after that, his story continues. Hercules decided that with his penance paid, he should return home and see if he could mend things with Megara, the love of his life and mother of his dead children. As he was walking atop a hill, he heard screams echoing up from the valley. Hercules looked down to see a centaur, a half-man, half-horse creature, attempting to force himself upon a young woman. The centaur had her clothes in his hands and a violent look in his eyes. Hercules knelt down and pulled back an arrow laced with Hydra's poison. Hercules loosed the arrow and it flew straight and true, landing squarely in the centaur's hindquarters. The centaur's body convulsed and fell to the ground. The young woman got to her feet and ran towards Hercules. As she approached, Hercules saw that she was quite beautiful. Thank you, sir. Thank you. You've saved me. Great pain. If it's not too much to ask, I would like to know the name of my savior. I am Hercules, and I am glad I could be of service. Hercules? I was rescued by Hercules himself? I'm honored. The honor is mine, miss. Deonira was smitten with this magnificent man. Perhaps she could make him her husband. Deonira, my name is Deonira. If I could actually trouble you for one favor more, the centaur killed my escort, and it would be unwise of me to travel alone. Could you perhaps guide me to some safe haven? Thebes is the closest city, and that's where I'm headed. You're welcome to travel with me. That would be wonderful. Oh no. What's wrong? The dead centaur still holds my shawl. The dead don't bite. You may retrieve it before we leave. I'll wait. Uh, all right. Deonira walked back to the centaur, lying still upon the ground. She stared at its body for a moment, then hesitantly bent down to take her shawl. The centaur's grip held tight upon the fabric. She tried to pry his fingers open, only to have his hand quickly snatch her wrist. No! Do not scream. I am dying and I will not harm you. I must apologize, for my lust overcame me. I have gotten what I deserve, and I wish to make it up to you, if you'll let me. I don't know. Listen, just for a moment. You desire this man for yourself, correct? How could I not? He's glorious. I can guarantee you'll have him. People are largely unaware, but my blood, Centaur's blood, acts as a potent love tonic. Take the blood from my wound, and if you ever feel that Hercules should desire another woman, sprinkle my blood on his clothing, and he will only have eyes for you. I don't think I need a love tonic. I've been told my whole life that I am beautiful. A man like that could have many beautiful women. Any beautiful woman, in fact. You think you're beauty enough to hold him? Is it worth the risk? Deonira thought about it for a moment, then filled a small vial. Just in case. The centaur smiled as he died. Deonira rushed back to Hercules, shawl in tow. 
Hercules and Deianira traveled to Thebes over the course of several days. She asked about his heroic exploits, and he told her. He asked about her, and she told him that she was a princess sent to travel, looking for suitors. She fell ever more infatuated with him. Conversation never turned to Hercules' wife. Deianira simply assumed he was available. Finally, one morning, Hercules and Deianira arrived at his old home, just outside of Thebes. I shall take you to Thebes shortly after, but this is something I must do alone. Hercules left Deianira and approached the front door. Of all the beasts he had fought, all the sights he had seen, all the depths he had traversed, this was the most terrifying thing he had ever faced. He raised his hand and knocked. The breath caught in Hercules' lungs. There stood Megara, gray in her hair, wrinkles on the sides of her eyes, but more beautiful a sight than any he had ever seen. Hercules, it's been ages. Twelve years. I... I came to say, I'm sorry. I never said it after what I did to our boys. I'm sorry. You know, I've heard the tales. You've suffered much for your actions. It will never be enough to undo what I've done. But if you'll have me, I have completed my penance and I'd like to return home. I'd like to try again. It's... Seeing you again is hard. I'll need some time to think about this. I'll wait as long as you need. Come back tomorrow. We'll see how I'm feeling then. I'll return tomorrow and every day after. Megara nodded and shut the door. Hercules smiled. He might have a shot at redemption after all. As Hercules returned to the road, Deianira had been watching the whole exchange. Who was that? She was quite beautiful. That was my wife. I wronged her in the worst way imaginable. But it looks like she may still take me back. Oh, well, that's good. Good, good, good. I am happy for you two. I know I've inquired about your lion skin coat, but would I be able to wear it just for a second? Sure. You'll find it to be quite comfortable. Deianira smiled as she took the cloak, but inside she longed for him. She knew she could have him, if only she had the courage to act. She donned the coat, and then, as she was about to hand it back to Hercules, she snuck out the vial and poured the centaur's blood on its seams. Thank you. It was comfortable indeed. That's why I wear it everywhere I go. Hercules threw on his coat, and the reaction was immediate. His skin burned and boiled, his face contorted, and he dropped to his knees in agony. Hercules cast his cloak to the ground, but the pain continued. What did you do to me? I thought you would love me. The centaur told me if I put a potion on your clothes, you would only have eyes for me. The centaur? What was in that potion? His blood, the centaur's blood. Blood? 
By the gods, that centaur's blood was filled with the Hydra venom. You've doomed me to die. No! I didn't... I didn't... Deianira fell to the ground, horrified with her own actions. Hercules' pained screams brought Megara running out of the house in confusion. Hercules? What's wrong? What's happened? I'm dying, my love. Don't touch me, for my skin is covered in poison. Is there nothing I can do to help? Build a pyre. Fire is the only way to deal with the poison. My cloak and I must burn, or others will die with me. Megara nodded and started gathering people to help her build the pyre. Hercules picked up his cloak and stood still, periodically screaming in pain. Once Deanira had seen enough, she ran away crying, fearful of retribution. As the pyre was built, word spread around the city of Thebes that the great Hercules was dying. In order to honor their once noble hero, they gathered around him to send him off. The pyre is built and the tinder is set. Are you ready, Hercules? I am ready. It's only fitting that the fate I forced upon my sons is the same that meets me at the end. Hades, old friend, I return to you again. As Hercules burned, something strange began to happen. His flesh melted and peeled away, but his personage began to glow, bright and brilliant white. The crowd around him was silent and awestruck, and Hercules' pain began to fade away. He clenched his fists and flexed his muscles as he stood, invulnerable in the flames. He felt stronger than he ever had before. Son, it is good to finally greet you face to face. God to God. Zeus, almighty father, you call me a god, but I am just a man. No longer. You have achieved your destiny and acquired the immortality I hoped you'd gain from Hera's milk. I have come to bring you home to Mount Olympus. Hera's milk? Doesn't the mother goddess despise me? At this, Hera herself appeared from the heavens. Her arms were crossed, and she wouldn't look Hercules in the eye. But he saw that the hatred had left her heart. If your feats could turn Hades' cold, dead heart, perhaps I have been a little too harsh on you myself. I will not call you my son, but you are welcome to join us on Olympus. It's where you deserve to be, after all. Hercules reached out, then pulled back in hesitation. But what of Megara? I wish to take my wife to Mount Olympus. Hercules, no. I won't go with you. If you're on Mount Olympus, our children will have nobody with them in the underworld. But we can visit. Hades and I are good friends. No. I... I love you. But, to be honest, I will never be able to forget. And to hold on to that for all of eternity? I don't think I can. Hercules nodded and choked back a tear. Megara and the people of Thebes looked on as Hercules took Zeus's hand and ascended to the heavens. From amongst the crowd arose a whispered sentence of reverence. 
There goes Hercules, the greatest of us all. Hercules started his life as a mortal child and ended it as an immortal god. His stories actually followed the same path of ascension within Greek society. From the first tellings of Hercules' tales in early Greek society to the rise of the Roman Empire hundreds of years later, the cult of Hercules was the only cult centered around a divine hero that managed to persuade broader Grecian culture that their hero deserved his own spot on Mount Olympus. This is both a testament to the strength of Hercules' stories and an explanation of the mysterious absence of stories that take place after his ascension. Every other god has a long list of stories that take place during the span of their godhood, except for Hercules. Once he enters Mount Olympus, Hercules marries Hebe, goddess of eternal youth. And that's it. That's all that happens after he becomes a god. The people didn't want Hercules to continue fighting and struggling once he'd achieved godhood. They wanted to give him a happily ever after. And as Hercules was the divine stand-in for the average man, his worshippers wanted to give themselves a happily ever after. Life is composed of suffering and challenges. Hercules triumphed, and so can you. Thanks again for tuning in to Mythology. We'll be back next Tuesday with a new episode. You can find more episodes of Mythology, as well as all of ParCast's other podcasts, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or your favorite podcast directory. Several of you have asked how to help the show. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, at ParCast and Twitter at Parcast Network. We'll see you next time. Mythology was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Ron Shapiro, with production assistance by Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Mythology is written by Giles Hofseth. The amazing cast of voice actors includes, by alphabetical order, Mike Capozzi, Jerry Courtney Austin, Kimberly Holland, Harris Markson, and Steve Pinto. I'm Vanessa Richardson. <laughs>